pray together. Our great God, you have loved us with an everlasting love. You have seen fit to give us the Lord Jesus Christ. You have seen fit to give us the Holy Spirit. You have seen fit to give us every good and perfect gift because you love us and you have plans for us. And your plans for us are that we can always have a hope and a future, that we can know your joy, that we can live in the fullness of your blessing. And so we thank you for all that is ours because of this great love. Now, Father, we're thankful, too, that as we stray away from uh, doing the things that we should, as we sin against you, as we sin against one another, that there is the truth and the reality that when we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, Father, we do pray and ask that you would be with us, that you would continue to show us your ways, that you would continue to direct our paths, and that you would help us to know how we can represent you properly in this fallen world. We pray for those people that are a part of our lives. Maybe they are our immediate family, maybe our neighbors, the people with whom we have worked and lived, who still do not know the Lord, that you would open their eyes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you would use us as your tools and your instruments to be witnesses to them. And Father, we pray for the advance of the gospel in the entirety of the world, that you would continue to cause it to increase and abound, and especially in those parts of the world where there is Islamic resistance, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, use the testimony of all of these Christians who are, who are dying and who are living courageously for Christ and will not give up their confession of Christ, that you would use these great witnesses to win these people over to your Son, our Savior Jesus. Father, where many of us are concerned about the direction of our nation, we pray that you would raise up from our churches, homes, and Christian schools godly men and women to take their place in every aspect of our form of government. We pray that you would be with those who are in the military and that you would keep them safe, and that the chaplains would minister to their spiritual needs, and they would be able to know the Lord and to know his salvation as they go into harm's way. And Father, we know that there are people that are a part of our lives that are not well, and we know that even some of them are afflicted with terminal diseases, and we pray that you would bring your comfort and your blessing to these, and where it is appropriate that you would bring your healing. Now, Father, as we continue in this worship, that you would open your word to us, and that we would understand its application in our lives, and that we would seek to live as becomes the followers of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray in his name with thanksgiving. Amen. If you would take your Bibles and open with me to Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 4. I'd like to read this extended piece of 
uh, scripture is with the in, mi- in mind that we're looking at Jesus' instruction to us that we should always, in all that we're doing in serving him, to have our eyes on the harvest that he has promised that is coming at the end of the age, that that harvest would always be uppermost in our minds as we seek to be witnesses to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we see this, that we're to be going out and we're to be sowing seeds about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but as we do this, we're to think, what is that harvest going to look like? Now, the first thing that we see in, these, in this passage is that this, this entirety of this passage focuses on this harvest. The second thing, that there is the encouragement to us that we should be constantly about sowing seed. And then the third thing that we want to see is because of the nature of the repetition that Mark gives us here, we want to understand that what Mark is emphasizing is Jesus' values with the idea of repeating these values that we would say that they're important to Jesus and therefore they should be important to us. His values should become our values. Now, when I was starting here, as in the starting the church, and many of you will remember that we're here, I always did a children's sermon. Some of you went to sleep after that. But that was okay, because I always got my point across with those children's sermon. And if I was doing that this morning, what I would have is some seed with me. And I would say, here's this seed. Now, what would happen if, if me, the pastor, was going out and I was sowing seed? What would you expect to happen as I sowed a seed? And, of course, someone would say, well, it would grow. Well, that's right. Well, what would happen if I went out the next day and I sowed a seed? And what would happen over time? Well, it would grow. And we'll say it three or four more times. Well, it would grow. How much growth would that get us? Well, if the children were real smart, they'd say what? Not much, right? Well, what if I took the seed and I just threw it liberally everywhere, did it for a day? Well, you get a lot more. Well, what if I took this seed and I had a bag of seed every day, and I just went out and I threw seed all day long, every day? What would you expect? Wow, that would be great. What if all of you had a bag of seed, (laughs) and you had a new bag every day, and you went out, and all of us sowed seed all day long? What would you think? Wow, that's the idea. Um, You know, I was great at delegating when I was here. You get the point? The church doesn't grow like this, does it? With everything resting on one. You got a upside down pyramid, not much is going to happen. You put the pyramid on its base, everybody's doing 
what everybody's supposed to be doing. In the things that Jesus intended, that's what happens. Well, let's see what Jesus is teaching here. So Jesus began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land, and Jesus was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, they get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven." And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches in the desires for other things enters in and chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it, and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor does anything been done in secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more. 
will be given you besides. Forever has to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed on the soil. And he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, would sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is grown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Now, Jesus is using these parables. And to the unbelieving world that was listening to him, all these parables seem like enigmas. They seem like riddles. They were cryptic. Yeah, they were finely told, but they were only, well, just like a story well told. They were just accepted like that. The unbelievers did not understand. Um, Jesus quotes a, a commentary on this when he, in verse 12, said, this is really just a commentary that they see, but they really don't perceive. They hear but they really don't understand. The problem with these people is is a problem of unbelief. Now, what Jesus is also saying is to the believers, to the people who have already put their faith in him, they're beginning to understand that he is the Christ. They're beginning to understand that he is the Son of God. That's how Mark's gospel begins. The word that Jesus preaches and the word that he wants us to sow is this word of the gospel that he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, that he's the Christ. And then that we would come to understand in that that he is also God's Son. Now, that's the opening verse. Of Mark's gospel. And the gospel of Mark is arranged around that outline. The first eight chapters, up to about verse, I think it's 29, the disciples are coming to the point where Peter is going to confess as a representative Jew, you are the Christ. Now, the rest of the gospel that's going to take us to the 15th chapter and the 59th verse, is going to, at Jesus' death on the cross, 
have a representative Roman soldier say, surely this man was the Son of God. Now, two things that we need to see here. That it's Mark's intention and Jesus' intention that the entirety of the culture be reached, the Jew and the non-Jew, and that in reaching these two groups, we would reach the entirety of the world. And so when these disciples are hearing Jesus' words here in these parables, it's like something that Jesus is using to etch into their conscience and to etch into the fabric of their day-to-day living that it would be permanently etched into their living that this is what we're about. As followers, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're going out into this world and we're inviting people, we're encouraging people, we're telling people, we're explaining to people how we've come to a place where we've understood that Jesus is the Christ, how we've come to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what Jesus is doing as he deals with these, his own twelve and the other followers as he treats these parables. Now, the first thing we want to see is that Jesus is focusing on this outcome. He's focusing on this harvest. From the beginning of this uh, passage in chapter 4 that Mark gives us down through this 34th verse, everything here that Jesus is saying is focusing on that outcome. Now, the reason for that is, is that we're easily gotten off task. Have you ever noticed that? Now, you're looking at somebody that, well, I was always the youngest one in my class. So from first grade on, I was a problem in school. I had a perfect record, though, at school. I had a perfect record. I went to the principal's office each and every year that I was in school. Beginning at the first grade, I showed up. Mrs. Archer drug me in. My report cards, remember those six-week things? You know what they had written on them over and over again? John is easily gotten off task. Now, as I look out, I see a whole congregation of people that are easily gotten off task. Jesus knew that about you. Okay? So, when we look at this, here's what unbelief sees. Okay? Unbelief sees something like this. You know that seed's valuable. You've got to buy that stuff. We need to be careful with that seed. We go over here and throw that seed over here. Why, 
some birds might come and eat it up. Must be careful not to do that. Over here, we know that, well, we think we know that right underneath the soil is hard rock. You need to be careful about that. Over here, we already know that there's briars and thorns. We certainly don't want to waste our seed there. That's what unbelief sees. Be cautious with the seed. That's not Jesus' focus. Jesus' focus is something like this. Some of the seed that you're going to sow is going to bring a good yield, 30. 30% increase. That's good. Some that you're going to sow is going to bring a 60% yield. That is wonderful. And then some of what you're going to sow is going to come back a hundred times over. And you would say, could it really be possible that it would be like that? But that's the focus that Jesus has. It's not on what we would see about being careful or being cautious or prudent or something of that nature. It's about looking to the outcome. Now, again, I want to just jump into this real quick, but our agriculture and the agriculture of that time was entirely different. And so what ended up happening is before anything was done, if you had a, a plot of ground, you would measure out the plot of ground, you would know what it was, and you'd go get enough seed for the whole thing and you would throw the seed out on the ground everywhere. Then would come along the plowing in which you would plow up the ground. Now, soil shifts. So what was thin ground last year could have reasonable soil next year. And what had reasonable soil last year could be shallow this year. And so you didn't know, and you threw the seed out everywhere, and you just went and you just turned it over. And that's the way they did agriculture in that day. So if you were overly cautious, well, you just wouldn't sow. And Jesus is warning us there'll be no outcome without an abundance of sowing. That's the sense here. Now, What Jesus wants us to understand about this is this parable is the key to all the other parables. Remember how he said it? Do you not understand this parable? If you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the rest of the parables? But if you do understand this parable, then it gives a key to the rest. And this is the outcome we need to see here. Now, Jesus also Throws Mark probably throws these verses in verse 21 and 25 into the middle of this. Uh, is Jesus bringing a different explanation at a different time? But Mark arranges them here. And in verse 21, he talks about a lamp 
coming into a house. Now, the interesting thing about this particular passage is it's very difficult to translate. And so almost every English translation, including the one I'm reading, mistranslates it. Now, the reason I'm trying to warn you is this. Now, normally, I think this is maybe the only time I've ever done this in the entire time I've ever preached here to tell you that the English Bible is wrong. But I'm going to tell you it's wrong. Now, the way this verse should read is this. The lamp. In other words, there is this direct pointing out it's not a general lamp, it's the lamp. Now, the other thing about this lamp that is being spoken of is it's not broad. The literal word is the lamp comes. And so when we begin to understand this, we begin to understand that this is speaking about Jesus as the lamp. The lamp comes not to be put underneath something, but the lamp comes to be placed in a place of prominence on a lampstand. What Jesus is saying it is this. I know that my coming is mysterious. I know that my coming is not comprehended by everyone. But know this, there is going to come a time, this idea of the end, this idea of the harvest, there is going to come a time when everyone is going to know God's purpose in this me coming into the world. It's going to come, but it's going to come at the end. Now, Jesus is again saying something here in the verses that immediately follow that. And he's saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, more will be given you beside To the one who has, more will be given. To the one who doesn't have, even what he has is going to be taken away. The idea that Jesus is saying is, you hear what I'm saying to you, then embrace it. You hear what I'm saying, own it. You hear what I'm saying to you, greedily take it to yourself. Because by the measure you accept what I'm saying and act upon it, then that's going to be the measure that you're going to receive in reward. Whereas if you hold back and you say, I'm not sure, I'm going to be cautious, I'm going to be reserved, I'm going to be a bit iffy about this whole thing, what's Jesus is saying here, that this is the wrong response. The response of faith is the response of embrace and the response of action in relationship to the values that Jesus is placing before us. Now, after he brings this piece in here to encourage us even more to act upon his words, then Jesus goes on with a new parable. And he basically says, again, it's mysterious. No one understands this whole business. You go out and you sow seed. You go out and you tell people about Jesus. 
you do this in a freewheeling way. And when you go out and you tell people about Jesus, what often happens? Well, what happens is what happened to me and what happened to you. I mean, here I am. I'm raised in a Presbyterian church in South Florida. Here I am. I'm hearing this stuff week after week, year after year, and I'm going on just doing my own thing. But then at age 22, all of a sudden, the Lord takes the blinders off. The Lord unstops the ears. The Lord takes the hard heart and softens it and penetrates it. And I understand who Jesus is and I accept it. And, you know, you sit there and you say, now why? Why did it happen that way? Why didn't it happen when I was five or six? I can remember coming home and telling my mother and father the things that I'd learned in Sunday school, but it didn't change my heart. The other day I was sharing this with a group of seniors in our own church, and this one lady who is, uh, um, she's either, I think she's from Sweden, and she says that's just the way it was. I was raised in the church. But she says it wasn't until I was in my 30s. And then one day, I understood. I understood everything that the Bible was teaching, and I embraced Jesus with all my heart. Now, you see, we sow seed like that. But the idea is we sow seed, and for some it's at 20, for some it's at 6, for some, we had one man recently at 75. He came to faith. It's a mystery. We don't understand it. But we do understand this. If you and I don't sow, there are people that will not hear. That's what we need to understand. But if we sow, then people will hear. The people you come in contact that I don't come in contact with Those people we hear, because they have you, they don't have me, and so forth. That's the way it works. Now, we we think the days of small beginnings. Oh, well, you look at this next parable here. You know what the, the, the mind of unbelief looks at? What do we know about the mustard seed? What is it? It's the smallest. That's the language of unbelief. What is it that Jesus' idea is? It produces a great big plant. Can't you get it? It's a big plant. It's so big you could put bird nests in it. That's what Jesus wants us to see. Not that the seed is small, but there's, it's going by our sowing seed. How does Handel say it? The kingdoms of this world shall become. You know the rest of it, don't you? The kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Now that's what this whole series of parables is about. The outcome. Don't you want to be there? I had a friend. We supposed to stop at 
Is that it? No, I want to know. Is that it? I don't know. Okay. I'm not going to... I'll be quick. I have a friend in Yazoo City, Mississippi. He's a cotton planter. One year, his yield was staggering. All the other planters had an average yield. You know what every one of the other planters wanted to know? Sonny, what's your secret? Sonny said, I planted just like I planted every other year. No explanation. That's the way it's going to be, dear people. The explanation's not going to be with us. It's going to be with God. But He uses us to plant seeds. We'll end with one illustration. There was a man in Maryland. It was about this time of year. He decided he was going to redo his lawnmower, get it ready for the mowing season. So he pulled it out. He got his wrench. He turned it on its side, and he began to try and get the blade off, but it wouldn't come off. So, not to be dissuaded, he went back in the garage, because in the garage he had another wrench, bigger one. He came out, he put the wrench on it, and that wouldn't move. Well, you know, he's getting into a sweat, and he's getting like, this is not going right. So he went out, and he got his breaker bar, and he got the appropriate half-inch socket to go on the breaker bar, and he got a cheater bar, and he got a block of wood. And he went and put a block of wood in the blade so that the blade wouldn't turn. And he put the socket on the, the nut. He put the breaker bar on the nut, and he began to push. And the nut wouldn't release. About that time, a neighbor walked up. He looked at it. The guy, by the way, that was doing this was a pastor. That's always bad. But he said, Pastor, I used to have a lawnmower like that. And if I'm not badly mistaken, that particular nut comes off the other direction. (laughs) There was a man named Bill... Bill went to Georgia Tech. Korean War started. So he was an artillery officer. After the war, came back to the United States and he got some kind of a job taking him from Atlanta to somewhere around Pittsburgh. Married. Had a good job finished his college. Some of y'all are going to know this guy. Because the next job he was given was the opportunity to open the Merrill Lynch office 
in Macon, Georgia. So he came to Macon to open that office. That's where the people of our community got to know him. Can I tell you he had a reputation of being tough? Had a reputation of being hard, harsh, intractable. He wasn't happy. Everybody around him knew that. Children grew, got out of the house, actually died at our country club, but a doctor at the bar revived him. He's not happy. Did I tell you that he's not happy yet? He's not happy. His wife died, and he went into retirement. You know what Bill wanted to be? What do you think? Happy. He wasn't happy. After his wife had been gone a couple of years, a lady down the street whose husband had died about the same time. Basically, she went over to Bill and said, Bill, if I'm not badly mistaking, you're turning that nut the wrong way. And she invited him to come to a Sunday school class. Now, she didn't invite him to a church service. I was pleased to hear about Sunday school classes. For about three or four weeks, he went. And after three or four weeks, he came to church. And after about another eight or ten weeks, he professed faith in Christ. After he professed faith in Christ, our senior pastor said, boy, John, go get him, John. And I met with him on Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock for the next two years of his life. I want to tell you something. His life was terribly difficult in those last two years. He was one of the happiest men I've known during the time I've been in Macon, Georgia. I watched him give his testimony to hundreds. You all are connected to people just like Bill. Their names may be Shirley. Their names could be Ralph. They could be whatever. I'll never see them. I won't be the one that ever sees them. But you will. This is for you. Sow your seed. Look to the harvest. Jesus is going to use you to save people just like Bill. Some of you are here because somebody was like this lady that went to Bill. You need to take it to the next person all around this community. Let's pray. Now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're our God, and help us to understand that we are your people. And we're your people to tell your message about your Son in order that you can bring glory to Christ, in order that the harvest may be abundant, 
and that Christ's death would be effective to being the Savior of the world. We make our prayer in his name with thanksgiving. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing our concluding hymn, Jesus Shall Reign.